We're studying the book of Romans and we pray that it's been helpful in so many ways. The timeliness of it is divine because in Romans 9 to 11, we got to know the truer meaning of Israel and there's so much misunderstanding of the nation of Israel today. Today we arrive at Romans 14 and every chapter is precious to us as we listen to God's Word. So let's deal with the issue of the topic. All our cultures, known or unknown to you, have a system or skill of glory and shame. Every single culture and indeed every family has glory and shame. Every company, every school, what brings glory, what brings shame to us. So nationally, what has brought glory to Singapore? Shanti Pereira, running the 200 meters at 23.03, right? And beat the other big Asian nations. Who else has brought a good name to Singapore? I read from this, if I can get it. Yeah. You know there's a Singaporean of the Year competition each year put out by Straits Times. And in 2021, the award went to Mr. Sakti Balan, then 28 years old, for what? He donated 23% of his liver to who? To a one-year-old girl he had never met. And all he did, all he knew, he learned of the child's case in the social media appeal in 2020. And so there are some who bring honour and glory to a nation. But uh, we've had a bad name with the money laundering. <laughs> and how on earth did this happen under our noses? And we are not very good as a nation because we have lost about $700 million to scammers. And out of the people who lost that money, more than 50% of them are younger folks. You would think the younger folks are more savvy, it's the older folks who may be scammed. And so there are things that bring glory, there are things that bring shame to us. Did you read about Tony Fernandez, the founder and the CEO of AirAsia? That he was in Indonesia and he was chairing a top management meeting. And while he was chairing the top management meeting to, I guess, optimize his time, he was having a massage simultaneously, so he appeared shirtless in that photo, shirtless in that pose, and he was being massaged and then communicating with his top management. And he sent out a post, and I paraphrase, this is the, the cool culture of, uh, of uh, Air Asia uh, and Indonesia that has this massage, and he got a flag. He really got it badly, and rightly so, that he brought shame to his own company, that the founder and CEO should behave like that and be promoting a culture of cool with him shirtless before the whole world. And we carry this down, and um, more and more we hear that students today, as they travel on buses, they are in their school uniform. As they travel in their school uniform, we hear them breaking out into four-letter words. It no longer gels with them that I'm wearing the uniform of a school and I'm just swearing away and everybody can see the name of that school. In the previous years, that would have been huge and whoever spotted them would have, would have made a report to the right authorities to be dealing with them. I went to pick our son, he was in, I think, late primary or early secondary school and he was slightly late coming to the car, so when I saw him walking, I knew something was wrong. He, he didn't look too happy, and I could see as he approached the car, he was probably crying. So I asked him, what, what's wrong? Yeah, the, say the last spirit was PE, 
physical exercise, and um, they were getting changed and packed to, to go home. And one of the boys in his class is more special needs, and every single classmate that passed him just say, why so slow, slow coach, you okay? Ah? Right. Yeah, so slow, so dumb. And then he, the son stayed back to try and help him, and he came to the car and just, he was troubled by that. He asked me, why do people behave like that? What do you think was the profound answer of his father? Sin la. There's only one word, what? Sin la. <laughs> All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's how Paul describes both Jews and Gentiles, the whole human race. There is no one righteous, not even one. The question to ask yourself is, do you agree with that? And because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there is no one who can make ourselves. You have to choose between two rescuers. Either you redeem yourself, and whatever you try, you will fail. You'll be condemned. Or you trust in Jesus to rescue you and redeem you. And now a righteousness from God, not by works, but by grace, and kept by faith. This is the main message of Romans. And so to this beautiful church, purchased by the blood of Jesus. To this beautiful church that now comprises Jews and Gentiles who previously in their history and their story hated each other with such venom that you will not find the two of them sitting at a table fellowshipping with each other. They would not be caught with one another. They now are pulled into the same church under Christ. So what might tear this newfound unity and love apart? And Paul says, it's all about the strong versus the weak. If you don't get this right, it will bring great dishonour to the body of Christ, to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So one way to understand it is this outline that's here. In the first 12 verses, he basically tells them again and again, through example after example, can you please stop this? The Christian life is about stop and start. You've got to stop what belongs to your sinful nature. You've got to stop what comes from Satan and comes from the world. You stop judging each other. Stop your petty quarrels. And you should start loving one another. Because at the heart of this good news you just heard, at the heart of the person of Jesus, is love. God is love. Jesus is love. The cross is love. The spirit that lives within us nurtures and reproduces the love that Jesus has shed into our hearts. So we should be known for our love, not our fights, not for our disunity. And as you understand this, you will say in chapter 15, then you're going to keep on glorifying God as the one people. No longer do you consider yourselves Jews or Gentiles, not that you lose your racial reality and your racial background, but you're now part of a new race of men called believers of Jesus. And so with that backdrop, we can understand it a little bit better. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Can you read verse 2 and 3? One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So the biggest thing to sort out is, who does Paul mean in his original situation by weak? And strong. But I know of the three verses that are out there, the verse or the phrase that's caught your, your eye is, the weak person eats only vegetables. 
all the meat eaters says, I knew there was a Bible verse that will give me the reason not to eat vegetables. So before we get it wrong, it's like this. The wet markets of 2,000 years ago. When was the last time you visited a wet market? We as Singaporeans, main market is supermarket. It's all clean, it's all clinical. You go to a third world wet market, it's quite different from the wet markets that we have here. Very clean. And as you go there, the meats are there, the flies are buzzing, there's no sense of hygiene, and you do not know the meats that are there, have they been offered to idols? So the best way for a Jewish person to refrain from that is to eat vegetables. Because I can't tell which is which. You follow? That's the background to this. It's not an anti-vegetarian verse. All right? So please don't get the wrong meaning from it. Yeah? So the first thing to work out is the meaning of weak. Weak does not mean they are quantitatively less, less faith. Pastor Chris, your faith is so great. Pastor Jeff's faith is even greater. The whole pastoral team has great faith. There's no such thing in Scripture. We're equal in Christ. We're equal in salvation blessings. We are equal in the quantum of faith we have. Amen? H Hello. Are you here? Yeah, I better speak to the people virtually on the camera. Right. Or it doesn't mean qualitatively inferior that the faith of some people have been to Bible college, the faith of some people have gone to be missionaries is superior to the ordinary lay Christian's faith. doesn't carry those meanings. The real meaning is their faith in God, their faith in Jesus, does not give them the liberty or the freedom to eat certain meats, do certain things. Right? And so most likely they were from a Jewish background. And then the strong, meaning of the strong, does not mean, correspondingly, quantitatively more rather than less, qualitatively superior rather than inferior. Their faith gives them the liberty to eat all meats and to consider all days as equal. So, and um, that's the difference between them. And that continues to be a huge thing that generation after generations of Christians, we have to decide. So the strong versus the weak, a technical phrase to describe them, is they are libertines. They have more liberty to do things. The ones who are weaker, they are perhaps more legalists because something in their background has constrained them. Don't forget, what is it that the Jews had that the Gentiles never had in their history or story? What is it the Jews had? They had the law. And so, in that sense, in our language here in Hokkien, we Gentiles are boating who? We don't know the law, right? So anything goes for us. The Jews were given God's law to expose sin and to control our temptation to fall into sin. That's very, very important because it gives you the boundaries for that. And so they not just had the Ten Commandments, they also had laws regarding food. What you can eat, what you can't eat, what is clean, what is not clean. They had laws regarding ceremonies and festivals. And so they, because of those laws, right, my faith with that law background does not allow me to do various things. You put the two groups together, will it be a melting pot or boiling pot? And Paul obviously thinks this thing, if you don't address it, is about to boil over and bring shame 
to the cross of Jesus Christ. So the strong, the Gentiles, would spend their time despising, looking down, thinking that they were superior to their Jewish brothers from whom they got this faith from, the roots. Where else? The Jewish Christians, weak because they were constrained by law, would spend the time judging. And why judging? Because judge, you need laws to judge. And so you enter this Bible study group, you enter this Christian family, and you find the most noticeable thing about them is them quarrelling, bickering, arguing about issues. The most distinctive thing about this Christian fellowship was perhaps fighting over what we call neutral or indifferent matters, non-essential matters. And so how does Paul correct this? He says, you've got to do this. You've got to stop the quarrels about the non-essentials. If you want to discuss anything, debate, get it right, get the essentials. The essentials is, um, who created the world? Was it atoms and molecules? God did. In the beginning, God. God is creator. God is ruler. Somewhere along the way, we fell into sin. There is the fall. Then God began a story of rescue. It began with Israel. It finished with Jesus. Now we are the people of that rescue. Those are the essentials. In Reformation, in Reformed churches, we are saved by grace alone, not works. We are saved by Bible alone because the grace of God has revealed the Bible to us. At the heart of the Bible, we are saved by Christ alone. He is the content of the Bible. He's the centerpiece of the Bible, right? Not Christ plus the Pope plus Mary plus saints. You do not do a gospel plus. You are saved by faith alone in this Christ of the Bible alone that has come to you by grace alone. And all this is for God's glory alone. Those are the essentials that we marked out 500 years ago. As Christians, as it were, reform against the Catholic Church. You get that right, keep talking about it. Stop this debating, arguing, quarrelling about the non-essentials. So mutually welcome one another as God has welcomed us. And you ask yourself, how has God, the holy God, welcomed unholy, sinful people like us? God welcomed us by giving us the welcome through Jesus. Romans 5 verse 6 is this, 5 verse 6. You see, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, while we were still ungodly, while we were still God's enemies, while we were still powerless, Christ died for you. Which means you don't have to clean up your act before Jesus says, I'll come and love you. I'll love you so much and I'll save you. You're actually, you and me are usually caught in the middle of our sin. And Jesus intervenes, not interferes, to save you and me. So how has God welcomed you? He's welcomed you in Christ, through Christ, through the cross. He's welcomed you fully and full-heartedly. He's embraced you without ifs or buts. Amen? So when my children were younger, they would come back from school. At the time, I was the only pastor. And uh, yep, they would come to the office. I will be working in the office. My secretary is out there. I got my own room. And I'll, you know, I hear a click at the door. Before I can turn around, especially my daughter, she'll run up straight to me, right? Call me, Daddy, 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 and jump on my lap, right? She never knocks on the door, never, right? But I'll embrace her. I'll never rebuke her. Say, welcome home. How was your day at school, right? 
you, you try coming to my office without knocking on the door. You come and then you, you jump on my lap. Not that you want to. That's not the welcome I'll give you. Because you're not my family. How has God welcomed you into his family? By paying the price of his son. You're welcome without ifs and buts. Fully, wholeheartedly embraced by God for now and all eternity. In that very same way as Christ has welcomed you, lovingly, sacrificially, can you, Jews and Gentiles, welcome each other in church? So the welcome is very important. It is full-blooded, it is full-hearted. No ifs, no buts. What race you come from, what former religion you came from, what class you come from, all things melt in the face of the cross. They say the cross is the greatest leveller of human society. If Jesus is the ultimate barrier breaker, and in our sinful nature, you and I raise all sorts of barriers, we are very prone to raise barriers, to feel superior about ourselves and make others feel inferior to us. Jesus and the cross is the great leveller of all people. Amen? And that's the welcome we should extend to one another. Which leads me to a small application at this moment. When you come to service here or go to service anywhere, don't forget to smile and say hello to people all the way from the time you walk in. Amen? You want to try that again? Smile at the person next to you. Welcome them. It's very important. Our worship here is not a solo worship. Other religions may practice a solo worship. You get your different things. You go in there for years. I practice that solo worship in different temples, etc. You walk in, you walk out. Nobody needs to know. We are church. We exist to offer the love and the peace and the shalom of God. So I will pray and plead and encourage you to welcome one another all the time. All the way from downstairs when you walk in, here as you sit with somebody, just say hello to them. They are brother and sister in Christ. After the service, speak to each other, take your food, talk about the scriptures. Very, very important. They're welcome in real terms. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And so he now gives the reason. You are not each other's master. God is your master. To the Jews, right? The strong, the Gentiles, they are failures in keeping the law, at least the food laws and the ceremonial laws. So in their eyes, they will fail, they will fall, they are flawed. But in God's eyes, Paul is saying here, the strong lawbreakers in your sight to the Jewish folk, they will stand. In your subjective views, humanly, horizontally, they will fall, they are flawed. They are failed law keepers, but in God's eyes, they will stand. So stop being masters of each other. One person esteems one day as better than the other. He moves from food and now to sacred days. While another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind. The one who observes the day, who is the one who observes the day? Jew or Gentile? Most likely Jew. Observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats, is it the Jewish Christian or Gentile Christian? The Gentile Christian eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. 
while the one who abstains from eating abstains in honour of the Lord and give thanks to God. So don't proudly proclaim some foods are clean, some foods are unclean, some days are sacred, some days are not sacred. Humbly accept each other's worship. Respect each other's vertical worship. And when the person does this regards to food and days, accept their sincerity, accept that they are personally, individually honouring God with thanksgiving. Don't be in Hokkien here, uh, Hokkien, Kepo. Don't be a Kepo. Don't step into their shoes and say, this one cannot eat, this one cannot do. It's a matter of indifference under God. And that's very important to accept each other's sincerity. When I'm doing it in honour of God, to honour God, I'm doing it with thanksgiving to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Did you notice at this point, right, that every instruction he gives to them for a change in their mind and their life is rooted and connected to Jesus. And from that, I want to make a point about us as churches. We set out in our handbook, we set out in our website, that we are Bible-centred, Christ-centred, and not just Christ-centred. We pray to be Christ-like. Where we fall short, let's forgive each other, beginning with your leaders. Every single thing that he tells them to do to preserve this unity of the church for their witness to Christ is rooted in Jesus. There is no foundation and reason for you to change your life apart from Jesus. That's why it's so important to be centred on Jesus and the cross. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. The background to this is this Old Testament verse, Isaiah 45, verse 23, where God will call not just his tiny, puny nation of Israel to be accountable to him. Please be accountable to me. I set you out to be a light to the nations. Did you succeed or fail? Did you bring glory or shame to me? Israel mainly brought shame to God because she ran after other gods. She was not secure in the love of her God. And now Christ is sovereign. He rules over the dead and the living. Surely he can call to account how we handle our food and how we handle our sacred days. I just want to, you to ponder on that, the majesty of that verse, right? God will one day call all nations to be accountable to him. Let's say we turn this gathering here into a gathering of the United Nations where the presidents and prime ministers are all gathered and someone is bold enough to get up and read Isaiah 45 verse 23, fulfilling Jesus to them. One day, God will call all 200 nations here at the United Nations to be accountable to you. And that will stretch from the largest nations like Biden over America, Xi Jinping over China, to the smallest nations like ours. How do you think the 200 prime ministers or presidents of the countries would, would respond to that? One day, every single one of you will be accountable to God, the ultimate supreme authority. That's the magnificence and the gravity of this verse. Which means, in micro-domestic terms, 
one day you and I will have to give an account of our life to God. Not just me, but every single person. And so if I ask you to hand me your phone now, everybody, we'll collect the phones now. Of course not, just... And I'll hand, you hand the phones to me, and as the pastor and the 10 pastors here, we're going to search your, your history on your phone for you to be accountable to us. We call that a cult group. Lah. But if God was to ask you for your phone and where you have been the last six days, are you willing to hand your phone over to Him? Accountability to God for every moment of time you live. All that you have is time. Did you realize that? All that you have of your life is measured in time. So why are you and I so intent to be time wasters? One day we'll be called to account. So this is what we have to stop. The fights over unimportant matters. To be known as people who quarrel and fight is not what the church of Jesus Christ was redeemed and saved for. So we have to start loving one another. And you may ask, what does that mean for you and me? I might as well start giving the examples here, right? And in weddings, in the last few weddings, I've quoted this quite a bit. If someone was to, if God was to audit your life, your relationships, your marriage and your family, what might he find you doing? So I say to a fair number of couples in a fair number of marriages, right? In your married life, it's very easy to slip into petty fights. Don't say, I'm irritated with you. Say more honestly and Christianly, I'm angry with you. Because irritation is not a sin. Anger is a sin. Don't say lightly, we got a communication problem. Say, I don't like your opinion, I like my opinion. That's more truthful. Don't say I'm a bad listener. Say more honestly, I don't really like what you're saying. I don't really care what you're saying. Don't say I got no time. Say more truthfully, I won't make time for you anymore. Our marriage has met, met a stalemate. Don't say you got your view, I got my view, let's agree to disagree. Say more truthfully, we are too proud to concede on this issue. Don't say, not tonight, honey, I got a headache. Actually, I got a permanent migraine. Say more truthfully, I don't care to meet your needs, even your most intimate needs, or especially your most intimate needs. In all those ways, you and me could be very petty. And then your heart and your relationships and your marriages and your families, superficially called Christian, is lacking the love and the joy and the peace that should characterize us. Before I move on to start loving each other, I just want to challenge myself and challenge you. Perhaps today, you can start a new habit of gospel living where you make a promise by the grace of God no longer to bicker and fight over small matters. What is one difference in your spouse that you don't ever want to fight over again? What is it? I don't know. Their lateness, their punctuality, their neatness. You can't just allow this to roll on. 
there must be those surrenders, the crucifying of what belongs to your earthly nature. So whether we run marriage preparation or marriage enrichment, we highlight the six, seven areas. You may differ on your understanding of headship and submission. You could differ on your styles of communication and conflict resolution. You could differ on your sexual intimacy. You could differ on your parents and your in-laws. You could differ on raising your children. All those things are not gospel essentials. But when the heat of a quarrel, you will raise them as if your whole life depended on, depended on the way you communicate, the way you deconflict, the way you handle your money, the way you raise your children. We have this fallen tendency to make a mountain out of a molehill. And it's very important that as gospel people, we keep the main thing, the main thing. Amen? By the time we end today, we're going to sing that song that we sang just now, that we are one. We are one not just in name, we are one in spirit and in substance. And I must not tolerate a repetition of petty divisions in my heart against anyone, beginning with my spouse and my children in the church of God. Do you think you could make that promise by the grace of God? Then nothing Mona does will ever irritate me again. Hallelujah. For those who are new, Mona is my wife. You have to put, your, put in your own spouse's name. Then nothing your spouse does is going to ever trigger you again. What do you call that? A miracle. Right? That's why you're asking for a miracle that is possible in Jesus. If you don't believe that Jesus can do that, you haven't believed in the cross. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I thought I'd better let that linger and percolate in your heart and my heart, or else you'll be forever giving yourself a reason and excuse to get irritated and have another very justifiable fight which is not justifiable at all. So start loving each other. Therefore, do not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. He now switches from judging to the possibility and the reality of stumbling each other. Stumbling is a huge sin. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Everything he tells them to do is Christ-centered. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. And the message seems to be this. Don't let God's good gospel, this good news that though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there's a new beginning from the righteousness of God, be slandered by our bad behaviour. And, and God's name was blasphemed, not honoured in their history. So message for the strong, if you're strong in some areas, you think your faith gives you the liberty and the freedom, and most of us as Gentiles think we are strong, right? don't forget to put on love, to constrain and restrain your liberty. I have a right to do this. I have a right to do that. You should focus on you have the responsibility to love, not so much a right to liberty, a responsibility to love and not to stumble the person whose faith is not strong enough to eat 
or do various things. By now, Paul is strong. For him, nothing is unclean. Did you see the, the growth in Paul? He's the most Jewish of Jewish folk. The word is, he's so kosher Jew, right? He's the last person God should have chosen to be an apostle to the Gentiles. By now, all the things that he was sensitive to, food, festivals, he dropped. So he moved from hypersensitivity to Gentile culture, right, to maturity in Christ that made him capable of ministering to Gentiles. So he never just pleads, I'm from a Jewish background, so I can't do this. He has grown, he has grown. You know who, who experienced this? Peter, apostle to the Jews. God gave him a vision. In that vision, God gave him the vision three times. That you have to see all these animals that you have here. You have to take, you kill, and you eat. We Chinese don't need that kind of dream. We've been eating everything from birth. For the Jew, he needs that kind of dream to go, and the next thing God tells him to do, go to the household of Cornelius and eat with him. You know, just the smell of some foods would have made them nauseous. So the hypersensitivity is gone. Now the maturity in Christ makes me mature. I can go and eat with a Gentile brother. Amen? That's crossing the boundaries. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever does serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. If you behave this way, look, look, look at the direction. You are acceptable to Christ vertically, uh, to God vertically, through Christ. And then you are approved by men. Keep working on both relationships. If you really behave like Jesus, you will be pleasing to God. Your behavior will not be stumbling also to others. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for building each other up, not for stumbling and stumbling and tearing each other down. These are all evidences of God's rule in Christ by the Spirit. And what are the evidences that you live under Jesus? Increasingly, there'll be righteousness, there'll be peace, there'll be joy. Increasingly, there will be the mutual building up of each other, not the tearing down of one another. And so, what are the implications of this? Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. See the repetition? His main concern is don't stumble, don't stumble, don't stumble. Specifically for them, don't stumble your Jewish brothers by what you eat. Yep. The faith that you have, you keep between yourself and God, here vertically. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So focus on this. So the faith that you have, keep between yourself. One commentator said this. Just try and follow, huh? listen carefully. If you're going to stumble others by your public expression of liberty, then please don't do that anymore. Be content with the private expression of it. So publicly you fast from certain foods, you refrain from certain foods, but privately you can go back and binge. Let's say by God's grace, right, by God's grace, as we go from NRPC at Adam to Bishan to Tengah by next year, hopefully, right? And God brings in a rush, a harvest of people from different backgrounds, racial backgrounds, religious backgrounds, becoming converted, 
because we preach the gospel, we show them the gospel, the goodness of belonging to Christ. And some come from backgrounds. I used to be a Buddhist. My mother was a die-hard Buddhist, really sincere Buddhist. So the main meats we ate in our home was fish. We didn't eat beef, we didn't eat lamb. The first time I tasted beef was when McDonald's appeared on the scene. And as I ate my first McDonald's, I didn't quite know whether I liked it or didn't like it. Took me a while to get used to beef. Right? Lamb is a totally different kettle of, sorry, kettle of meat. <laughs> it's wrong. Right? And lamb still find a bit hard to get used to the, to the smell of lamb or the aroma of lamb, depending. Right? So what is it? But Mona, my wife, she loves lamb. She studied in England, she loves lamb. And the early days of our married life, right, lamb chops in Australia at the time were really cheap, right? So once a week we'll have lamb, at least once a week. Whenever she cooks lamb, my favourite hymn is Lamb of God. <laughs> I married this wife who loves lamb. She's forgotten I came from a Buddhist background <laughs> that finds it slightly hard to cope with the smell, let alone the taste of this lamb. Let's say by the grace of God, lots of people from different backgrounds come to believe and come to join us. Some have never tasted beef in their life. Some have never tasted pork in their life. So what should we serve after service for our meals at all three places? Adam, Bishan, Tengah. Vegetables. <laughs> they already gave you, he already gave you in verse 2. Right? Vegetables. What should we serve? I know what we shouldn't serve. If they come from different backgrounds, you shouldn't serve pork. As much as you long for that chasu that we order, right? My goodness, that pork belly is nice or what? But never mind, la, refrain for two hours. When you go back, you have the liberty to binge on that pork belly. So you fast in public, you binge at home. You constrain your liberty because you love the brother or sister from the previous background. Then their faith does not allow them to partake of that food. But then some of you might get really upset with this food business. Hey, we give equal offering now. Huh? They give some offering, but I've been here longer now. You know some of the bricks here, I donated one now. That one, you see? Behind there? Uh, I donated that one. Then the elders and deacons will be under pressure. Okay, what food should we serve? I tell you what, huh? one week we serve pork in Adam. Next week we serve that in Bishan. Third week we serve that. Don't give us such problems, okay? It's very simple. You constrain your liberty because you want to love the person into the kingdom. And your love must keep the person in the kingdom. And that's important for us to realise. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. But for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Maybe this will help us summarise the deep issues that are here. Not just for them, but for us. If you consider yourself strong, and most of us from gentle backgrounds, we're strong. Our faith gives us the liberty to do X, Y, Z. Right? You must choose love over liberty. If you don't choose love over liberty, you'll be condemned by God for the lack of love for someone Christ died for. If you choose your liberty of food versus your love for the brother, you stumble him, then you'll be condemned by God for the lack of love and over-focus on your freedom. 
If you're weak, you've got to choose your conviction that comes from your faith over compromise of that faith. If not, you'll be condemned from a lack of faith. Let's say you sit there and the majority insists on eating pork or beef, but your relig former religious background doesn't allow you to do that. But in the heat of the moment, you compromise. So your eating is not from faith, and you'll be condemned for your lack of faith in that situation. In all things, whether you're weak or strong, you've got to do this. You've got to keep, may the God of endurance and encouragement to keep you together in the same fam spiritual family for Jews and Gentiles to keep deepening their love, deepening their acceptance of each other, experiencing righteousness, peace, joy, the building up of each other, you need endurance and encouragement to break the racial barriers and the cultural barriers in accordance with Christ. That together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he ends, welcome one another, fully, full-heartedly, warm-heartedly, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Can you imagine that out of the crucible of the war in Ukraine, you'll find a church where Ukrainians and Russians worship together and they love and welcome each other every time they meet. They sing with one mind, one heart, one voice. Can you imagine a church springing up from this bitter war that's taken 10,000 lives on one side, 1,400 lives on the other side, and they gather there, one mind, one heart, one voice. It's what Jesus does. And you need endurance and encouragement. So we gather here, the moment you walk in through that door, you drop everything that makes you prejudicial to another person. The moment you walk in through that door of Christian fellowship, you leave all your racial pride behind, your cultural pride behind, because here is the gathering of the humbled people of God, humbled by the cross. Amen? That's vitally important for us to realize. But the Church of Jesus Christ has not been known for its love and unity. We have brought dishonor to the name of Jesus in so many different ways. So for us to take away and to make sure that we are listening to this and being changed by God, are you strong in some areas? Are you weak in some areas? Do you spend your time judging one another? Are you strong or weak from your experience? Are you strong or weak from your background, from your tradition? Our endless wars. So in this passage, dealt with their different racial backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles. Are there class barriers here in Singapore? I don't know. Are there? Between the super rich and the middle class and the poor? Between those who go to elite schools and neighbourhood schools? But all schools in Singapore are the same. Never mind. Well, that's what we are told. But, but some schools are better than others. We know, right? So denominations, liturgies, music, all these different things could divide us, right? So all the denominations are agreed upon the five things. Say by grace alone, say by Bible alone, say by Christ alone, say by faith alone for the glory of God. But one of the things we differ, maybe baptism, right? So Baptist, full immersion, fully underwater. I was baptised in a Baptist church in Sydney, fully underwater in winter. Then after you get baptised, you wear the clothes to go in, it's all white. Then you stand there and you give your testimony after you come out of the water. It was winter and I was freezing. 
That's why I became a Presbyterian after that. <laughs> so they baptize fully, we baptize by sprinkling. Who's right? Of course we are right. We save money. Right? It's so much water. You could fight over all these things, the Holy Communion, which is the right way. In Methodist or Anglican circles, it's the vicar or the priest who serves, and you come forward and take it. In Presbyterian circles, the elders and the leaders, we take those elements and we serve you. Right? They have different emphasis. So which is right, which is wrong, just hang loose. You hang tight to Jesus, you hang loose with everything else. Hey, there's a Holy Spirit moment. You want to write that down? You hang tight to Jesus, you can hang loose with many things in your life. You hang tight to other things and make the non-essential and essential, you got trouble. Music wars. What kind of music do we play here in the RPC? We call the music that we play here MOR, Middle of the Road Christian Music. Hopefully some of the older folks can appreciate it, because once or twice there'll be a hymn. Then some of the younger folks can appreciate it. We try to be like the PAP, cover the middle ground, <laughs> as much as possible. Some churches dealt with this. Uh, you like hymns, you go to traditional service. You like contemporary music, you go to contemporary service. And it's okay, except the youth and the old folks will never worship together. You have just created a barrier through music. So there we were at Harvard, uh, spent a sabbatical there, and we caught the posters, Afro-American choral group, something like that. They were obviously well-known, so we got the tickets, we went. A beautiful hall, I think, that, co that the concert still goes on annually. And, you know, Afro-American music, 10 minutes into the music, right, it was just, everybody was moving. Everyone was moving, right? A couple in front of me, a white Caucasian couple, right? They stood there, and I could see the guy. He was deciding, should I move or should I leave? Because his whole body was just stiff. Mona comes from a charismatic background. She was moving. I'm Presbyterian. What do I do? Before long, I moved. You follow? Yeah, I've been to international conferences. And there stands an African, stands a South Korean in his suit, the African in his national costume, and Latin Americans, and here Singaporean, right? The South Korean, who is Presbyterian, is as stiff as anything. So are we united in Christ? I don't know. Whether you move or don't move is okay lah. You follow? Don't judge each other by that. As long as you're not chaotic, right? Don't do a BTS in the service itself. Just, I mean, move, move. It's, it's all right, but we have a lot of fights over different things, right? So today's culture, how many of you came in shorts? How many of you came in shorts? Okay. A generation ago, they believe in Sunday best. So I told the Saturday service, you are spared because you're Saturday service. <laughs> that is the dress down service. People's wardrobe has changed. We now see people attend funeral wakes in shorts and t-shirts. And nobody blinks because the culture has changed, right? So are you more turned on when I wear a tie or don't wear a tie? And you didn't notice that I was dressed. And sometimes you make such a big deal over it, right? 
So in some places, you, you have to wear a collar to serve communion. In some places, you have to do this. And the, the wardrobe is important denominationally, but it's not important in terms of our love and acceptance of one another. Is that right? So are you going to listen to me less now that I've taken off my tie? Obviously not. About 20 years ago, I preached. And I preached on a passage like this, and I put on a earring. The whole service. Just to see whether anybody walked out. Thankfully, they stayed because they wanted to ask me, why are you wearing the earring? <laughs> you having an identity crisis? My purposely dressed that way to see whether wearing... In some cultures, men wear the earring. You follow. And we're not about to judge each other on this. I went to preach at the Gold Coast, evening service, right? And after that, one of them was assigned to take me out to a meal. We went to a fast food place. He uh, said to me, yeah, you find a table, I'll get the food. So I went to find a table. I, I was walking very few t tables, then I saw a, a group of bikies there. I know they're bikies, they're all big size, all dressed, all same style, right? Tattoos everywhere. So I said, I, I, I won't sit there. Uh, I'm a Chinaman in this place, Gold Coast, I'm going to look for trouble. I had to pass where they were to get to my table. As I went to find an empty table, one, a few of them stood up. Pastor Chris, thank you for the sermon. We just went to the service. Hallelujah. <laughs> I was trying my level best to avoid them. You think the, the kingdom of God can include bikies? Yes. <laughs> I thought they stood up to give me a hard time. Thank you for that sermon. We learned so much. Oh, I sat down, relieved, and repented. <laughs> Who do you think shouldn't be allowed to a Christian fellowship? Jesus came, and his main fraternalizing was with sinners and tax collectors. We don't build barriers as the church, we break barriers. Amen? And that's the kind of gospel we want to preach here. And that's the kind of gospel we want to live out here, to make it as attractive to people for us. So whether you come from a neighborhood, neighborhood school or elite school, doesn't matter. Does age matter? We'll speak about this in great detail at the church camp next year. So you're going to sign up for the church camp? Yeah, it's very, very important. Yeah. So there's a phenomenon now. One third of Singaporeans are singles. Do you know that? The number of singles is increasing. More single women than single men. I ask you a question that I've asked you before. Can older Christian sisters in Christ fall in love, date and marry, date and court and marry younger Christian men? Can or not? Eh? How come so silent? Huh? I have no idea. If your son who is younger, in his mid-twenties, later twenties, fell in love with a Christian girl in our fellowship and she's in the mid-thirties, Bolega. Bole is Malay word, sorry, those who are tuning in. Can. Is that allowed? Can. La. As long as it's not such a gap, huge gap like Ng Kok Song. Right? <laughs> you would say that. Right? And he was running for president, and his age gap, some people critic him at 30 years. But his age is such a huge barrier. We've had some sad moments in which. The gap is so the, the gap is there. It's not so huge. Let's say five years, eight years, and the parents say, "Can you tell them to break up? Because she's much older. 
and her childbearing years are probably over. If she does have a child, probably will have problems, special needs. I say, I can't bring them up because they're both believers in Jesus. They, they think they've been brought together by Christ. The parents don't like me after that. And they don't turn up for the wedding. On the wedding day, the groom cries, the bride cries, and I cry. A wedding is supposed to be a joy, no? not tears. No? You follow? We don't, re we don't watch it. Anything can become a barrier. Anything. But thankfully, they got married. A few years later, the children came. Very okay, very normal. I actually met them in another church, this particular couple. Say, you remember me? I was going to say to them, will I ever forget you? <laughs> you know how much your, your parents gave me a hard time right? and gave the whole pastoral team a hard time getting every single one of us to break up that relationship. We can't break up something which is brought together by God. You follow? That's very important, all the different things that we have. And so, this is what we have. Be mindful and prayerful about the possible fault lines that might break up the body of Christ anywhere. Discern between the essentials and the non-essentials. And the differences that we have are not opportunities to argue, to fight, but opportunities to love and learn to accept the other person for who they are. You move from acceptance to appreciation. I thank God that Mona is so different from me. Amen. She thanks God that I'm so different from her. Amen. Can you say that of your wife and your husband? Please say, say you now. Turn to each other. I thank God you're so different. I learned a new thing today. <laughs> Are you still going to fight over the difference? I thank God that you are made so beautifully different to me. You are a Jew and I'm a Gentile. But we are one in Christ Jesus. This is the glorious gospel, and this is the glorious out, living out of it. To the witness to the world that doesn't know how to handle differences, but we know and we can share about this. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray together. We're going to sing this song in closing again. The beauty of our oneness in Christ. Overcoming, overlooking all the differences that potentially can divide us. Thanking God that we can be one mind, one heart, one voice. Spend some time in personal reflection. Spend some time in personal response. Spend some precious time in personal repentance, which means rethinking and redoing something of your life differently because Jesus is your Saviour and your Lord. Father, we humbly confess that left to ourselves in our fallen and sinful nature, we are so prone to escalate the matters of indifference, the non-essentials, to be the essentials. And not just to escalate them, but to bicker and fight over them. Forgive us. And if we experience that in our hearts, if we continue to be scarred and bogged down by that in our marriages, in our families, if we continue to be like this in our Christian Bible study groups, 
in our churches, in our leaderships. Oh, Father, please enlighten us and please forgive us and do a new work in us as we understand the weak and the strong from your word. And we pray that we will focus on being strong as one. One mind, one heart, one voice. Delighting in Jesus, experiencing the beauty of love and the building of each other up. And we ask that will happen to each and all of us here in the RPC to be a shining light for you, indeed in every gathering of your people. Make us a light that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.